Welcome to the Truth About Your Health podcast, where it's our mission to expose the truth about your health to burnt out men and women so we can empower 100 million people to go from exhausted to energized. We do this by exposing the truth in all different areas of health and wellness on each podcast that you are simply just not being told. And this ultimately prevents you from having the abundance of energy that you are looking for. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition about the Truth About Your Health podcast, where we're on a mission to expose the truth about your health to burnt out men and women so that we can empower 100 million people to go from exhausted to energized. And I'm really, really excited to talk to our guest for part three. It's Mr. Mojo himself, Dorian Greenow, and he's on a mission for a lot of different things, but their goal is not just to sell a meter, it's to spread keto news, information, resources, and understanding so people can make changes in their lives and allow them to live long, healthier lives. So Dorian, thank you so much for giving me your time once again. Wow, thank you very much, Dr. Rosen. It's really good to be here. Well, yeah, well, listen, I love talking to you. We, we do have two editions before this, so we'll post the links to those for people that are watching this. But I think it always starts with integrity. And I think that's what's so great about what you do is because it's not just recommend and don't hold, don't do the things for yourself. So I think it'd be good to maybe recap a, a little bit of your story um, on, on why you develop this type of lifestyle and, and now we, and then we can transition into um, what's new with Keto Mojo. Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah, back in 2015, uh, I was overweight, uh, 207 pounds. I was on antidepressants. My job is just going into the toilet. I'm mucking everything up. And, you know, I'm in this fog, but I didn't know I was in the fog. You know, if you're in the fog, you don't really know it until that lifts and you can and you can see you just you just you're just failing at what you're doing and then bounce between jobs. And a good friend of mine and said, you know, you've got to give up the white devil. So you've got to get rid of that sugar out of your life. And you know, the typical English guy, I was like, I don't do fad diets. You know, I'd see my wife do every possible diet under the sun, um, um, cabbage soup diets and, and, and all of these other things and doing these challenges. And, and, and it was a continuous roller coaster for her. And, you know, I'm, I'm just going like, well, that, that's never working. Why would I do that? Um, but then as I started reading up uh, on the science of what a ketogenic diet is, I think I'm going to flip that word. I'm going to say what a ketogenic lifestyle is. Because uh, the deep, that four-letter word of diet, I think, is an appalling word. Uh, as we started reading and looking at the science and understanding how the metabolism works, and this is reading, obviously, like Volick and Finney and Atia and Taubes and Westman. You know, if you look at all of those, those different doctors over, over the period, period of time, uh, the science just made sense. So I went on a well-regulated ketogenic lifestyle. And I was testing with an Abbott meter. To, so I knew um, the, the choices that I'm making were working right for me and my bio-individuality. Now, I think of this testing as sort of like a map and compass model. If you go into a, a new world, say I'm going to Italy or Thailand, think of the foods, Italy, Italian foods or Thai foods. If you're going somewhere new, you need a map and compass to guide you. The map is the roadmap of the foods that you're eating. And the compass tells you if you're going in the right direction. Now, if I follow the same route every day and we become creatures of habit, 
then do I need a map or compass? That's a question you should ask yourself down the line. But what happened was my, my weight dropped off. I, I lost a total of 47 pounds. And, you know, I got this mental clarity. I got this energy, this joie de vivre that, you know, I felt like I was 24 again and I could take on the world. You know? And uh, I came off all antidepressants. And that was the genesis for starting the company because, you know, I looked at this strip and I was like, why are these strips so expensive? Back then uh, in 2015, they were $4 to $5 and you'd have to hunt on the back ends of eBay and Amazon to get something that had been covertly shipped in from Australia. It, it was nuts. But, you know, I realized that, you know, at that time, there was a lot of barriers to entry, not only a cost barrier, but also an informational barrier. And so when we set up Keto Mojo, it was the, at the hopes that we could affect change, uh, metabolic change throughout a population of people. And once you can do that, once people change the way they eat, the way that they shop, this could potentially have a market forcing function to fundamentally change agriculture globally and that's this sounds a bit hubris uh, a lot of people look at me going like what hold on where did you just go there but when we look at holistic regenerative agriculture that can actually sequester carbon this becomes a game changer yet in america we subsidize corn soy and wheat and we are subsidizing in america the obesity epidemic or we should almost call it a pandemic now that is killing thousands, maybe millions. 79,000 people will die this year of type 2 diabetes. 79,000. I think that's a terrible thing. And that's just one NCD. I think if you look at uh, all the NCDs, could possibly cost society about 30 trillion by 2030. And so this was like, how do we affect this change? And that's what we kind of brought to the table with the launch of the company, Keto Mojo. No, that's awesome. And that's why I was so intrigued with our prior conversations. It was more of a mission-driven, aha, it doesn't have to be this way, and, and, and education and being misfed and uh, the information literally and, and, and physically and, and metaphorically. The, uh, you bring up a couple good things here in terms of uh, the lifestyle versus the diet. And I think that's if you can get into that as well, because I think the bottom line is making sure that someone is able to, to produce a clean fuel. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be full on ketogenic eating, especially as they think uh, high fat, or, or, or misinformation about what it is. And it, it's more about lifestyle and controlling certain ratios of food and, and movement and, and getting healthy. And I think that's why you've been able to continue um, your evolution is because it's not just pricking your finger per se, or it's not just eating higher fat. So maybe give us a little more information on your journey as to what, what is the difference between a ketogenic lifestyle and a ketogenic diet? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a really good question. That is, there are many different ketogenic diets. We can go from the carnivore to the, um, uh, to the medical world of the four ones and the three ones. We can go to a modified Atkins diet. We can have an MCT style. And so you've got to realize that there's a pendulum 
a spectrum of that, you know. And even in our in our own tribe, there's a little bit of infaction and frighting, like carnivore's the right way to go, high protein's the way to go, no, adequate fat is the way to go. And I'm like, I take a middle road. I'm like, what is going to keep it sustainable for me for a long period of time for a lifestyle? I know I have a carbohydrate addiction. Um, you know, for me, I love a good cup of tea, typical Englishman, you've got to have a cookie with your tea or a biscuit, as, as we would have said in England. And, you know, you know, my, my kryptonite was milk chocolate hobnobs, you know, and it actually says on the packet, one nibble and you're nobbled. And I'll go, I'll only just have one cookie. And I have the one cookie and next thing I know, I've, I've eaten the entire packet in one sitting in two cups of tea in the afternoon. That's me. So what I think a lifestyle is something that you can stick to for a long period of time. And, and, and in, in a sentence, just to kind of like keep it real easy, I think it's adequate fat, moderate protein, lots of above ground leafy vegetables. So why do I, I think that? So adequate fat is for where you are in your journey. If somebody's first starting and you know they're 50, 60, 100 pounds overweight, and then once they get into a state of fat burning, you, you can be in a slight deficit utilizing your bodily fat for energy as well as some of the dietary fat there. So this idea of pushing fats and fat bombs might not necessarily be right for a particular individual. It's the bio-individuality. So I like to think, what is adequate fat? Moderate protein, the amount of protein that you need for your lifestyle. If you're like a Louise Vilsenor or you know, uh, the carnivore doc, and you're working out massively and heavily, then yeah, you might want to have a much higher amount of protein um, to, to, for the turnover of that muscle mass that you've got. I mean, but look at me. I mean, I'm not exactly a muscle-bound individual. So my quantity of protein that I need is, 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 is less. Um, and, and that's why I say moderate protein. Usually, to me, it's the point of satiety. It's quite interesting. Uh, you know, you can have a chocolate cake. And you'll be able to eat the entire chocolate cake. I can have a good quality um, pasture-raised piece of meat, and I'll get maybe three quarters of it, and I'm already beginning to feel full. I'm getting that that feedback of satiety, and so I might go, okay, I'll leave that for maybe a breakfast snack in the morning with some eggs or something, and 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 I'll I'll be done, and I'll push it away, because you get that correct biofeedback. It's you know I think Dr. Robert Sivers talks about having the biofeedback. The problem with an alcoholic is sometimes they don't know when to stop because they're not saying that they're full. But if you ask that same individual to drink water of the same continuous, especially if you think about English people drinking pints of beer, and if you think about water, you get to a point where like, oh, I couldn't possibly drink another pint of water. You get a biofeedback. And the same thing happens with proteins and fats. You get the biofeedback satiety, but you don't get that with carbohydrates. You get that short circuit. So adequate fat, for where that person is in a journey, uh, moderate protein and lots of above ground leafy vegetables. What's wrong with leafy vegetables? It, it's, they're fine. Now there are some bits if we get into the nitty gritties of oxalates and stuff like that. But on the general, you know, that's sort of like where I, I live. And I do drink wine. My wife is actually a certified sommelier. So how do I keep my lifestyle going whilst enjoying all there is to, to offer. And Gemma was just recently at Low Carb USA and spoke on how to choose a, a key, I'll say keto in, in quotes here. So let me be very, very kind of like careful. How to choose a wine whilst you're out at a restaurant or somewhere or over at a friend's place where you can still remain in ketosis. And again, it comes back to the person. If you're just starting, 
wine might not be right for you because you're you run this what's the word your metabolic flexibility hasn't been developed i can now people go like will this kick me out of ketosis if they eat a burrito or something or maybe have a beef bourguignon and there's a carrot in there and there's an onion in there and they're and they're going like will this kick, kick me out of ketosis and i'm like i don't know it depends on where you are and how long you've been doing this and what your insulin sensitivity is uh so this is the way that we look at it so that and you know now you know we're a global company we're in 31 countries right now and we have when we get have the luxury of traveling with with the job and we're always in nutritional ketosis even in places where i don't even understand the menus uh, i've been in south korea and the island of jeju uh, for a ketogenic conference that was there uh, and even into Japan and to China and to Taiwan and those areas where, you know, it gets a bit funky to try and eat keto, but you, you learn after a while and you don't sweat the small stuff a little bit. And I think that's the beauty of having the right map and compass. Yeah, you said lots of important things, the sustainability for sure from a lifestyle point of view. And then on top of that, the the stressing because the stressing is going to produce cortisol as well. And that's going to drive up glucose. So what is like for those that may be very new to the scene, I'm sure you have a continuum of how to explain different concepts, depending on where someone is with their understanding, Dorian, what, what is nutritional ketosis? So explain that to, to the listener. Yeah. Yeah. Nutritional ketosis, as defined by Drs. Wallach and Finney in um, their seminal book, The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Living, is uh, measured between 0.5 millimoles in blood um, beta-hydroxybutyrate, roughly up to about on most meters measured to about eight millimoles. Um, you know, people always worry about the, the, the bugaboo and they go, well, what about ketoacidosis? What about that? Like ketoacidosis usually only in a type one diabetic and it's in 10 millimoles plus and above really when we get to that. And I really think that ketoacidosis should get a bit of a, a remake on its marketing name. It should be called glucose ketoacidosis because that happens in high glucose and high ketones and usually if you go over a blood glucose of 240 milligrams per deciliter it'll have a warning light to say check your ketones because you know you shouldn't be 240 i mean i i would be horrified if i ever saw that i mean my alarm set on my system is if i ever pop over 120 uh that that'll 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 get me i mean usually i'm in the 80s 90s 100s which is perfectly fine so right and 0.5 is is generally is like you're now at the threshold of nutritional ketosis. Now, higher is not necessarily better. Uh, Don't go chasing, uh, don't go chasing ketones, chase results um, because it depends why you're doing it. There are the weight loss people. There are the cancer people. There are the neurological, like multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's. There's the epilepsy community. Each one of those is going to be a different part of that spectrum. And that, that and that's how you must approach it. So if we just look at weight loss above 0.5 and above into the, the twos, absolutely excellent zone to be in. And it will change over time. Sometimes when first starting, your liver now produces lots of ketones. 
but is your mitochondria ready to receive it? And that was with the, the Wallach and Fiddy studies. They showed that it takes 12 weeks for a person to start to get fat adapted, but it also could take much longer than that. And your body can change over a longer period of, of time. Uh, and I can give it an anecdotal N of one. My wife, Gemma, we both eat the same uh, foods and drink the same similar types of wines. She was always very low on her ketones like zero threes, zero fours, and zero fives when we first started. And I was getting in these 1.1s to 1.7s, like going around all fancy, like, hey, look at me, I got ketones. Um, and she was different, you know, because of her, of her age, where she was um, being postmenopausal uh, at that time. And it was only when she started working events with us, and we generally did them fasted. We would do one meal a day when we're at a conference. It's a lot easier to, to work and focus on that one and then go out for a great meal uh, at, at, at night. Then this, this, this OMAD started to actually fundamentally change and her ketones started to come up. And this was over a year and a half in. So it can fundamentally change over a long, a long period of time. Yeah, I think the bioindividuality is is definitely a verb, right? And learning what uh, unique circumstances, time windows, activity levels, definitely going into and out of it. I guess the question I would have for you is, do do when you said it's sort of the bugaboo ketoacidosis, are you still finding ignorance or lack of awareness from traditional approach doctors that aren't yeah. really having it on their radar? Are you still seeing that happen? Oh, absolutely. I mean, metabolic therapies, although they, if you think about it, it's gone back to when William Banting wrote the letter on corpulence in the 1800s. Um, but as you know, the average doctor does not receive um, metabolic education. They don't receive this uh, nutrient education in any way, shape or form. And even on their continuing medical um, education, there's, there's nothing that is in there. Uh, and the number of schools that are teaching it are very, very slim. And it's not even done at, at the basis. And it's not you know, that much in that much literature. I mean, a lot of times we're in our echo chamber. And I think the challenge of the, the clinical community is to, to get out more and to kind of like really start to, to, to talk about this a lot. And so, you know, so the average doctor probably has done his residency uh, and, you know, they're thinking of their ER days when they hear the word keto and they haven't changed it or switched it to see the real benefits that it can get. I mean, when you look at the Verta paper that when the two year study, being able to reverse type two diabetes in I think it was either 55 or 60% of cases. That's reverse with a 91% reduction in exogenous uh, insulin. That's profound because the standard current of care isn't. But if the American Diabetic Association isn't advocating for it, and if I still meet registered dietitians uh, uh, who are on the old way of treating type two diabetes, and it's, it's shocking because there are outside political organizations that continue to put a lot of pressure. So that doesn't change if, uh, and we've kind of like careful of not going into, into, into landmines. But if you look at the work of what Belinda Fetke did and Garrett Fetke are uh, on the, on how they were, they were maligned as doctors, but it came out of a vegan religious group 
this starts to get a challenge when you've got such big money in agriculture, in corn, soy, and wheat, what is their fundamental wanting to change? Yet what happens is we see then in diets that it becomes eat less, move more. You can't outrun a bad diet, it's impossible. Uh, and if you take a look on the macro, this is the, the great thing, if you, like the data that, that the US government has, if you look at all the foods that we are eating, we are eating the my government plate. We are, and we are exercising more. Why is it that the American military has an obesity problem eating the my government plate when they got drill sergeants on everybody's ass? And if I've met pilots, military pilots, who are really seriously concerned about losing their license, their livelihood, because they, they are following the traffic-like methodology of what that, and their weight's got so much that they're having difficulty in getting into their flight suits. And some of them are resorting to actually having a nip and tuck so they can keep going. There's something fundamentally wrong with that. Yeah, you know, Dorian, I changed the name of this podcast to the truth about or your adrenal fix to the truth about your health. So it really is aimed at knocking over some sacred cows. And, and I think what's the I don't know the exact quote, but the as I guess new science will will come about as as people die, right, as as the relics end up dying and you have a new breed and a new generation that hasn't inherited the dogma however yeah. the problem is is that like you said the the fun the funding and the and the watchdogs and the and all of the the motivation from big pharma and from big 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 food and medical curriculum i guess it is a slippery slope like you said but at the same time i guess what has been keto mojo's solution to not having to knock on the base of the castle wall and you know continue to bang your head against it. What what's been sort of the the mission or the the business strategy that that you guys are doing to get the word out, but knowing that there are certain anchors that can only get you so far. Yeah, I mean knowledge is power, and the truth will out is what we believe in wholeheartedly. I mean, and if anybody wants to go over to visit our website, ketomojo.com, we built a massive website of, of information and how-to guides and infographics. Um, we have our own chef who's created over 220 different recipes to show how engaging and delightful and delicious the food is. Built within those recipes is you can select as many recipes as you like and say, I want to cook for six people or 10 people or just two people. And you'll be able to print out an easy printable um, uh, shopping list that you can take with you. Uh, we soon to be, I think in the next week, we'll have the ability that you can create your own meal plans for a seven day or a 14 day or even a month. So you can, you can plan everything out. Uh, we've gone to our good friends, Doug uh, and, and Pam Divine of Low Carb USA, and we license every every presentation from all of these amazing doctors and clinicians and researchers, and we offer it for free. So if you want to do this massive deep dive into each different disease state, it's there for you for free, not a paywall behind it. And we get about 2.8 million visitors to our website 
uh, especially over, over last year, because this is how you can affect metabolic change. Now, I was very disappointed uh, during you know, two years ago, COVID started and we were looking at this and we realized those people were dying were those who had the comorbidities. And we had a, a moment there where everybody should have been talking about boosting their immune system and how do we do the boosting of the, of the immune system? We lower our glucose, we have great foods, we make sure we get good amounts of sleep, we increase our vitamin D and sunshine, and we work on our exercise and health. We do the entire terrain around the individual. And this, this should have been the conversation. And yet it dissolved into politics and masks and vaccines. And it was kind of like, look at this, instead of like looking at the root causes, the root causes of the NCDs. You know, we'll get to the point now, we're getting, I think with COVID, we're getting to endemic, which is great. It's gonna be like a cold, it's gonna be like a flu season, it's gonna come around. And people will have had that, that first amount of immunity from having caused, caught it and passed through. And sadly, a lot of people have died. But for those people who still have comorbidities, it's gonna keep coming around each year. And this is where we must fundamentally say, take a look and say, you've got to take control of your health because no one else is going to do it. You are the captain of your ship and there ain't no magic pill that's going to come on out and say, here, take this. Look at type two diabetes. They've been giving, they've been giving us magic pills for how long? And we still have the same mortality rate that you get a type two diabetes diagnosis and you've got 10 years, 10 years left of your life. That, that shuckens me. I mean, at the, Stanford uh, Graduate School of Business did a study and they said, what is the value of one, of one year of life? And they, although every life is priceless, they calculated it out at $129,000 one, one year average. Well, we just mentioned earlier, 79,000 people die in one year. 79,000 times 129,000, I think we're into the hundreds of millions, probably into the trillions by that size when you start doing the math. That's the loss of value, of human value. Not apart from the loss of the father or the mother or the uncle. That to me is, is when we know that we can change that and we've known it for a hundred years, there's something wrong here that we fundamentally can't address. And that's why when you, you go and give the information that is free through what we do in our website, and you empower the people to change it themselves and make it a lifestyle, that becomes fun. I eat out a huge, and last night I went out for an Indian. People go like, oh, you went out for an Indian? Yeah, I went out for an Indian, I had a, a chicken tikka, because that's in a cream sauce. I had um, Masai Malai, I think it's like, Masai Malai was, was the other one that we, that we had. Instead of rice, I had broccoli and spinach, and they know to, to do that broccoli and spinach. We had a lamb, a tandoori lamb that was with it. And I had a bottle of Alexander Valley um, Brut Nature um, bubbles with it, locally, locally made bubbles. The bubbles were roughly about 11% alcohol. And I knew that from because it was a Brut Nature to the way that the, um, the champagne rules go, although this is a domestic one, they, they still hold to those rules a little bit, that we knew we had the glucose is under one, roughly 1.2 grams per, per deciliter. So we knew that we could have, and we had a great Indian meal. I do it on a regular basis. This is how you create a lifestyle and enjoy the fun of things instead of having a diet.
Yeah, I love it. I, I especially empowering people with knowledge and and giving them the the information that's readily available that can really give them the tools, right? I mean, ultimately it works. There's no debate of of the validity of of what it's going to do to to change your 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 morbidity and your energy and your quality of life. So transitioning to be, what's behind you with my 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 Mojo Health, I'm really excited to talk to you about that. One of the segues I'd like to talk to you about, though, for for me specifically, but in general, you talk about the glucose ketone index, and I wanted to get your insight on that, where you have some really nice educational infographics on your site, and I believe the 10 to 1 glucose ketone index is is really what we're looking for, depending on, like you said earlier, is it for neurological concerns, cancer concerns, weight loss concerns, so forth and so on. But that allows what I've been seeing myself, the ability to be a little on the higher side of the glucose level if you're getting below 10 when you have some ketones. So if you can explain that to people, what is the glucose ketone index and not necessarily look at it as unsuccessful if maybe you're riding a little bit higher on that first marker on the glucose markers, maybe explain that. And then we can transition into what you're developing and, and how your individuality will allow us to determine all of that stuff going forward. Yeah, super question. So the genesis of the glucose ketone index was Professor Thomas Seafried of Boston College. And he was looking at cancer as being a metabolic disease in his research. And he was the one that kind of like understood that, you know, Dr. Otto Warburg was the first person who, who put out that, um, that cancer is feeding off of glucose that is being it's going through a fermentation in an anaerobic environment within, within the cell. And so if you can obviously suppress the glucose down and, you, and increase the ketones up, if there's less fuel, less food for the, the cancer to eat, then potentially you could begin to starve the cancer and you can necrotize it and get clearer margins that could allow a, maybe a, a conventional standard of care or a modified standard of care, maybe less chemotherapy, less radiology, um, uh, and maybe you can do it all by, by, by using uh, the nutrients to be actually give the persons that have boosted their own immunity. So this is what he kind of like came out and realized that that became very important. So this really came out of the cancer world. But at that stage, there wasn't a meter that would be able to calculate it. There wasn't a software system. And we came out with the, the first ability to connect it to an app so that we're doing a glucose and ketones that it will calculate your GKI all at once before you would have to do it yourself. And what that is, is you take your glucose measurement in the European standard, which is millimoles, it's only America and a few other countries that measure in milligrams per deciliter. So if you're out there and want to do it yourself, take milligrams per deciliter divided by roughly 18, and that will give you in millimoles and divide that by your, your ketones. You can do that if you really want, or you can just use the, our, our app and it will do it all for you. Or you can go to our website and we have a, a, a GKI calculator. So it came out of cancer. But now we're seeing this being in applied in other disease states, as in, as in weight loss. And, and, it, and it's kind of like a much smoother line, if you will, as, as an indicator when I look at it. 
I generally like to do my GKI or I, I tag my readings by my morning reading about an hour after waking, because I think that's a little bit more like that fasted uh, measurement. I like that. If you're doing it after like a food, you can have a little bit of noise brought into that reading because of the food. You, you'll see that you're that even if you're eating low carb, you might have a uh, you know, I think of a low carb meal as having less than a 30 point, 30 milligram per deciliter spike, about 1.7 millimoles. You know, I, I don't want to go over that. Then I know I'm personally eating more, more carbs than I would want. And that push of 30 milligrams per deciliter can affect your reading. So I definitely think that that morning one is a good one. And the other one is sort of like the one, the my, just before my evening meal, especially if I'm doing OMAD, that kind of like gives another idea. So there's also some different schools of thought. It's like when to test. Is the morning the right one? Or is just before your evening meal the right one? You know, the morning, okay, that's fast, that's overnight. Well, we would hope that you'll be in ketosis at that. But remember, your ketones are always very low in the morning and get more as they go up. But during the day, you could have more things that you could potentially eat that could cause you to pop on out. So there are some other clinicians who think that well, maybe just before the evening meal is the important one. And if you're like me, I say, well, you know, test and learn yourself. Learn your route, learn your way to work. And then once you kind of got that, if you're, if you're getting the same results every single time, do you need to continue to test for that particular thing? The answer is no. If you and I have done our job correctly, ideally, they don't need to test. They learn what they're there and they're having a fantastic, healthy, enjoyable lifestyle. And that to me is like job done. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's a great um, explanation as far as... Uh, so also, actually, Joe, let's come back because I realized there was a bit that I didn't cover on it. So if we take a look at the scale of this one, you know, right. for cancer, the holy grail is to get under one. It's really hard to get there. That's, that's having super low glucose and very high ketones. A high therapeutic zone is maybe one, uh, two to three. Uh, if you're getting in that zone, absolutely fantastic. From about three to six, you are in like a deep a state of nutrient ketosis. Six to nine, you're in sort of like nutrient um, ketosis. And so using that scale, again, it can come back to why are you doing it? Uh, and, you know, that lower number is not necessarily better unless you have a specific reason behind it to be trying to target that, maybe doing a cancer treatment maybe doing multiple sclerosis, uh, Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, and maybe interesting to see how it would work in psychology. Uh, we're working uh, with the University of Edinburgh, hopefully on a bipolar uh, study um, that, that they'll be doing, which will be very exciting. We've already seen this stuff with Dr. Chris Palmer's done on schizophrenia. So I think here in that psychology, it makes it better because I came off my antidepressants when I was between 1.1 and 1.7. So I like that. Anyway, sorry, I digressed a little. Sorry. No, no, I was going to ask you, where are you now? Where do you tend to hover with on a, on a real time average for, for what you do and what you like? And maybe between 1.1 and 1.7. Uh, when I've, um, when I'm traveling, especially at conferences, when I'm introducing longer days of being on my feet and um, fasting during the day, I might pop into the twos. I sometimes find altitude plays a game, especially when I've come off planes, which is kind of like interesting on, on, on that one there. 
Um, and then if I've been a little bit lax or if I'm unsure of stuff, you know, I will, I'll be down maybe between the 0.5s and uh, 0.5s and, and the ones. And that's usually wine induced. <laughs> I have to be honest with that one uh, where we're traveling and we might not be able to find the, the right wines that we would, we would want to have, have with our meal. And, you know, there's no truth in labeling and wine. And this is, you know, I, I would love to see truth in labeling. I would love to see a carbohydrate RS label, residual sugar. I haven't been in the wine industry for so long myself. Uh, that's what we would like to see. So, but generally uh, it, it's very, very, very rare for me to be out of ketosis. It takes a lot right. these days. Right. So I like to see the truth in labels beyond just wines, right? I mean, in all in all labels. But with that being said, so you're talking about glucose ketone index, or you're talking about spitting out ketones when you're when you're talking about where you reside now? Yeah, normally I'd say, sorry, good question. G, on my GKI, I'm usually between about a um, a two point five and a four point five on my my personal GKI that I run at, I run at. Okay, know. okay, gotcha. Uh, and again, for those, let's go ahead. Yep, keep going, please. Yeah, yeah. That, and that's you know that's when I'm looking at the GKI value. Um, but then when you sort of like look at, at glucose, I look at glucose as what I'm eating and whether or not that's wine and ketones are between 1.1 and 1.7, uh, a little bit like that. Yeah, no, I think it's a good, a, a good lesson for people that are learning this lifestyle that when you are testing, whether it's the first thing in the morning when, or you're testing before your meal, you, you really do want to learn thyself and you want to know what foods trigger more of a, of a spike of your glucose, what's your baselines? What are the correlations between what you do on a daily basis and how you feel and the stressors that you have? And how does that impact when you divide your glucose, when you convert it to the units that um, the ketones are in, and that would be your glucose ketone index? How does that get impacted? And, and so forth and so on. So I think it's a really good point for you to, to have to learn to, to understand what you need to do. And as you said, with Gemma, you will evolve over time as you start to fine tune it. It's like Zen in the art of, you know, keto balance, right? So right. as, as far as now you have your tools, so what's the genesis behind or the, the, the goal behind my mojo health and, and what you're doing with that now that we just kind of talked about knowing thyself? Yeah, well, the first thing obviously we did was we built an app that connects from your meter just on a standalone basis to, to your phone so that you could look at your data, it could graph that out, you could have the ability to tag it or to, to write notes, but that, that resided on your phone. But if we look about trying to have a greater metabolic change throughout a larger population, you know, it, it's sometimes it's hard for an individual to change themselves, you know, and they need help of, of their coaches and, and their clinicians and, and their doctors. And because it becomes about accountability. And, and sometimes not everybody has the right amount of accountability. I certainly know that I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I was successful because my wife chose to do it with me at the same time. So we, we both held each other to be, be accountable. And so what we wanted to create was a method was how can we do this in real time? You can kind of like see over my shoulder a little bit. I have a, a thing where you can see what your latest measurement is. And then you can also see what your time in, in range is. So we can look at this over different data periods. So 
it could be seven days, it could be day, seven days, 28 days, three months, uh, or, or even a year. And now you can set your own time and range goals. That is right for you. Or a clinician or doctor can set it for their whole population that, that they're trying to work with. And they can actually see exactly what's going on. And then you obviously, you can see the graphs of glucose and ketones and GKI automatically calculated out if the measurements are done at the same time. And so now we have a, a dashboard for the user, but we've taken it one step forward and that hopefully will be released next week is you can connect into Apple HealthKit. So now if you're utilizing Apple HealthKit and you might be taking your readings from your, your proteins, your fats, your carbohydrates, maybe from Chronometer or you're tracking it in Apple HealthKit or maybe from Carb Manager or NutriSense or all these other things and you're putting it in there. Now you can pull them into your dashboard and see it at the same time. And the clinician, doctor or coach can do exactly the same thing. And now you have a continuous remote care option for somebody. And we made it free. And you don't even have to use my meter. You can manually put this information in it. This is the most crazy. My wife thinks I'm nuts going like, why, why should we do that? Why are we going like that? And I said, like, because if we're going to affect metabolic change, we have, must stop putting the paywalls in front of it. You know, our original business plan was test three times a day for less than the cost of a latte. Well, that's okay for America. It might be okay for Europe, but it might not be the right price point for Indonesia or Pakistan or, or India. That's where we want to try and see change on a global scale and put it into multiple languages. And our MyMojo Health platform is a secure, HIPAA-compliant, double-encrypted health cloud. And not only can you can connect to other apps, like we've, I already mentioned, Chronometer and Carb Manager, but you can also connect into Heads Up Health, NutriSent, Life Fasting Tracker, those apps. But we've also designed it now that it will actually connect to other large hospital EHR systems. Uh, and to, to most people listening, they probably won't under, understand the names of Epic and Serbo and Elation and Validic and all these things that these hospital systems do. But it's my goal within the next 30, 60 days that we will have 70% of the hospitals will have the ability in real time to see glucose and ketone data if they want. If they want. What do you feel about, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to, continue, didn't mean to get in there, yeah. If they want, but this is the point of when you've got to think like, okay, that's one arm of what we do. But we need to educate the doctors. And, and then that's where Gemma and I have our, we have a, our ketogenic foundation. It's a 501c3 public charity. And through the foundation, we help fund clinical trials and studies and education into the efficacy and use of ketogenic therapies for the benefit of humankind. Uh, we've been able to help give seed money to the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners, which is a group of doctors whose mission is to teach other doctors. What a concept. Uh, we've been able to help the Keto Live project in, in Europe, uh, who have already started up an online educational system and then are looking to have one of the first schools to teach ketogenic therapies in bricks and mortar and bring patient cohorts in at the same time, which I think is really exciting. Uh, and this is the challenge, because if you take a look at the average registered dietitian, I was checked, speaking with Jessica Ernst, our RRD, who's now our clinical educator, I asked her, it's like, well, how many patients were you roughly dealing with? 
And she was like about 135. Okay, that's 135. Now there might be some clinicians and, uh, and doctors who might be where I work with a patient population of, of, of maybe 500. Here's the challenge. It's 38 million people who are type two diabetic. There's 68 million people who are pre-diabetic. If you look at say 135 people and you look at the number of, of um, coaches and clinicians and RDs, we need an army, we need 900,000 or maybe a million people to help deal with one disease state. And that to me is the challenge. So this is why we built my module house. It was like, we're gonna remove the papers. You don't have to go and build a software system, design a software system, here it is. Uh, and we've invested significant dollars to do it. And if you look at the Holberg paper, she spoke at the ketogenic symposium that was just held uh, in uh, late October in, um, in Brighton in the United Kingdom. I was there and Sarah Holberg of Verta Health showed the paper of what continuous remote care looks like, where you've got data feeding in, in real time, and you have your clinicians and doctors working in real time. You have resources like we have of, of how-tos and guides and recipes and like that, which they can use. You have community where they can work together. And that can be in Facebook groups, that can be in closed groups. And when you look at having all of these together, Berta Health achieved an industry-leading standard of 74% compliance. And I'll kind of put this in real context. In the epilepsy world, which has been doing this for over 40 years, they achieved roughly 45% compliance. But it was the way that they did the remote care, the way that they did the behavioral change. Now imagine if we can then apply that and get better at it. That's their first go at it. They got to achieve an industry 74% compliance. And roughly 40% of people don't even take their medications. So they did better than somebody taking a pill. And that's, and if you can do that in one disease state, oh, if we can do it for all these others, that's a profound change um, to society. Yeah, it's exciting times. It makes me think of two things. First one is, like you mentioned, and we talked about earlier, the difference between the ketogenic lifestyle and, and the ketogenic diet. I almost feel like saying this is a ketogenic lifestyle is, is also somewhat limiting the, 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 I guess, the broadness of what you're actually doing, because it's not just ketogenic lifestyle. It, it really is metabolic flexibility. It's knowledge and power. It's controlling your glucose. It's being able to produce ketones, but that's not, I'm, it just to me seems that it's, it, it goes much bigger than a ketogenic lifestyle. The other thing I would think of is what kind of domino effects do you think it would, will have besides the, I guess, the beneficial effects of, of doing this in terms of, okay, now we're, we're able to have the compliance, we're able to have these outcomes but that also impacts as a domino effect. And there's almost like a whack-a-mole effect, like that also challenges the status quo. And it also puts a lot of pressure and exposes a lot of um, companies that make gazillions of dollars on when things aren't getting better. What, what, kind of, what kind of domino effect do you think this is gonna have? Yeah, when I spoke at Low Carb USA, I did a CME um, 
presentation on the benefits of glucose and ketone testing for patient practitioner and society. So let's just kind of like touch on the societal. In the European Union, where we have a single player healthcare system, uh, where you get universal healthcare, you know, it, it's, these healthcare systems are getting stretched uh, to, to quite a large limit. And that stretch causes for those countries to have very high taxes, 21, 22% VAT, quite high um, uh, taxation uh, that is graded on the, on the individual for their own per personal income tax, and then high taxation on um, alcohol and on cigarettes in, in, in a punitive way, and obviously on gasoline. And so there's a massive amount of taxation because they've got to take care of the healthcare of the population. Well, what if you could reduce down the burden? Well, let's just use type two diabetes because this is the easy one where all the data is. Type two diabetes costs Americans $320 billion a year. Well, we know we could re reverse that using the Verta model in 50 to 60% of cases. Well, we've, we've just saved $180 billion here. Now we hear the American Diabetic Association, we had Tracy Brown when she was there, go up to Congress and plead with Congress saying, we've got to lower the cost of insulin for, for our type two diabetics. And we can do that in under 30 days by 91% by following a well-regulated ketogenic diet. Again, we've got to take a look at the root cause. So I, I don't think the price of insulin is really an issue. You know, obviously for Biorad, maker of insulin, which happens to be the American Diabetic Association's number one sponsor. Well, funny that. Um, I'll tell you a little anecdote. I, I did the uh, Tour de Cure ride. We took a team uh, under Verta Health, uh, at-risk riders. We put them through onto a well-regulated ketogenic diet. We were the number one sponsor uh, and fundraising. We raised over $48,000. I got brought in my good friends from, um, uh, from F-bombs and from Energy Bits and from Keto Logics. And we showed them a whole group of, of new providers that they could perhaps get sponsorship money from. And we reversed, reversed the diabetes. And that person had been following the ADA guidelines for 25 years. We reversed it. They never invited us back. They never invited them back. And in fact, when I mentioned to some people, it is possible that Verda Health have shown that you can reverse the effects of type 2 diabetes with a well-regulated ketogenic diet. They came over and said, you cannot say that because they'd had a complaint from Biorad. But the other sponsor at that event, the local uh, place down the road was Jelly Belly, maker of glucose candy pills insulin and candy. And that was at the American Diabetic Association. So when you come and take a look at what I think this can change, and I mentioned about the cost of that, but can, you can reduce that down for a single payer system. But imagine if you were uh, somebody who's running a healthcare system in America, maybe like a United, maybe an Aetna, maybe, and, and it's a for-profit basis. What if you could realize that you can make people healthier yet still maintain the premiums, then you would make more of a margin spread. Yet the way that our healthcare system is better, and let's just rechange that word, our sick care system is set up, is payment for people being sick and not payment for people to be healthy in a population. 
And that we need to kind of like take a look. Only when an insurance provider says, I want to make the margin spread and starts to take a look at what's going on in that healthcare, wait, see the difference. We're already seeing car insurance companies want to have telemetrics to go and lower the premiums on an individual. Well, what if there was a way that we could have health metrics that could lower our cost of healthcare? Why should I have to, because I'm taking care of myself, have the burden of my healthcare cost based upon someone else who's not perhaps. Now, I know they're load weighting it through society, but perhaps it brings it down because when I go and visit my doctor now, looks at all the blood and goes, oh, it's fantastic, mate. Come back and see me next year unless you need to see me before. I see my dentist more than I see my doctor. And it never used to be that. So that could be a fundamental change that we could see in, in the cost of healthcare. Now, if we're all shopping the outer aisle, what happens if we can start now to say, hold on, we need good, if we've got the good data sets, we need good pasteurized meats, good organically grown vegetables uh, and the like, and these animal husbandry to be essential, and we can actually sequester carbon, we can change how we farm. And in such, we can change the farm bill. This boring piece of legislation where we are subsidizing the obesity and death in America needs to fundamentally change. And, and I know that sounds lofty, but we can do it one person at a time. Everybody who goes low carb, that's how a revolution happens. One person at a time. And when I know that I've got 2.8 million people visiting our website, that gives Gemma and I, you know, the biggest joy. Because, you know, I don't have kids. I don't have children. So what is my legacy going to be? That I made a buck or, or I made a difference? And I think that, I think that, the latter is far more, I think that gives you joy and motivation in life. It gives you that gratitude that you were fortunate enough to be able to affect the change. And people think fortunate enough. I came to America with $750 in a backpack and America has allowed me to do this. There is an American dream. There is that ability to affect change. And that to me is kind of like why I think that our ability to give back to our society becomes far more important. Yeah, what a journey in terms of, I would imagine this, looking at this strip and thinking, why are they charging so much for it? I would like to think you had scanned out to think I'd be changing the farm bill, but I, I gotta think that that may have not have been on the top of mind at the time. <laughs> Right. Not, not, not initially. No, it's, it's only as right. you get into it and you understand how the ecosystem works a little bit and, and how the struggles. I mean, Miriam Calamian said, you know, it's going to be a bottom up and a top down approach. And eventually, you know, these two little areas will, will make the connection. And we've already done it just a little bit. We're seeing the doctors make the connections with the consumers. I mean, if you hear Dr. Andreas Ansfeld of The Diet Doctor, when he talks about his genesis of a journey, he learned from his patients. And he was seeing the way that he was doing was not making any change. Yet suddenly going the other way, he affected change. And I think that becomes more important. And the power of a person's pocketbook is massive, massive. It's the biggest voting thing that you could ever do is when you vote with your wallet because American capitalism is there and we can see it at work. I think, who was it that uh, Mark Sisson sold his primal food brands to 
was it Kraft or Nabisco or something like that for 200 million. Those big companies are looking, they see it and they will understand. And that's how you get the, get the change when we get the, the e-commerce to, to come on into place. I find yeah, that, I think well, we're in an exciting time right now. It is, it is. I have to correct you though, because it, I asked you earlier about if it was just a matter of information and it's not, I mean, you're doing so much more than information. You're, you're empowering and you're, you're data tracking and you're validating and you're impacting change and you're actually ahead of the curve and, and, and doing what you can to, to ultimately have other people take notice. So it's, it's really exciting. And I, I'm excited for, for what, what the future holds for everything that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, one of our visions for the future, for, uh, you know, it's anything's possible with time and money, but with our foundation, you know, I, you know, I would, you know, I don't, and I, if any of people in the keto food industry is listening on in, which I feel sure they do, because you have such an influential voice, is, you know, I look at having something that maybe it's 1% or 5% uh, for science. Um, and then what we do is, you know, we build up uh, right now, we, we've only got about just about over $600,000 in, 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 the, in, the, uh, in the endowment. But our goal is if we can build up the amount of money that we have in, in the foundation, we can then be able to fund more clinical trials and studies. You know, if you look at the work of what Nina Teichholz is trying to do with the Nutrition Coalition to try and affect it, it's got to be evidence-based, but we need an avalanche of, of evidence. Uh, I know that with Keto Mojo, um, between Keto Mojo and our foundation, we're working over with about 20 different clinical trials. They, got, they kind of like put, got a little bit put on hold during COVID because of how to do the in-person intakes and stuff like that, but then now they're all gearing back up again and, and coming roaring on in. And I think as we have more science, as we have more evidence-based, and let's be very clear, the, the ketogenic diet is one of the most well-researched ketogen, um, um, dietary formats that is out there. I mean, it, it's, it's not like, oh, this is something super new. I mean, it's been going on for a hundred years. Uh, I think this is how we will eventually affect the change, uh, that it, it'll come on out, it'll be evidence, but it might be one small country that might choose to suggest low carb and it will start on a disease state first and then it will kind of like move out from, from there. Yeah, it, it's, it is exciting times, but yet, you know, we, like you said, you have the still the naysayers of the, the ketogenic diet. So it's, it is sort of that one, one seashell at a time or one starfish at a time, right? So one of the things that I changed, Dorian, is I would ask in the in the past what you wish you would have done differently, knowing what you know now. But because this is called the truth about your health, what truth about health that you wish you may have known earlier in, in your in your journey that you like was sort of like an aha, like a sacred cow that you were you were told and just to accept, or just something that's a, a fallacy, or it may be the opposite of what you would have been told, but does anything sort of pop out? I mean, I'm sure so many things do, but in terms of um, something that you thought was just a for, for uh, like, like just an acceptance or a given, and now you, you kind of know, or you've known over the, the years that that's almost exact opposite to what you teach people. Uh, you know, I grew up in England. It's sort of like tough it out where you go, stiff up a lip kind of like, stuff um you know wasn't much on on food and the the 
self-care becomes really important. In, in Europe, they, they expect the government to do it. And uh, in, in maybe in the Americas, they say, oh, you should eat this way and, and that, that'll be it. But the self-care becomes really important. Uh, I went keto, I was successful, I lost weight. And then I started a company and uh, you know the stress of running a company, even a keto company, you, you would you think, oh, wow, it's like you're, you know, you, 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 you're living it to lead it. But you, you forget of how much that stress, that lack of sleep can have a profound effect on an individual. And, you know, I dropped off the weight and then my weight came back up. It was only really recently as, as, as a company got, got more stable um, that I was like, hold on, look at me. What's, what's going on? I'm, I'm the keto guy and I'm, I'm, I'm coming back up to where I was before. This is not right. What's wrong? And, and if you kind of like start taking a look back, the things that I was doing wrong was was not doing the self care. It's not doing the, the um, uh, was not uh, reducing down the stress in my life, and I was pushing personally too much fat for me. I was having too much heavy cream in my tea. These were wasted calories. So I removed that one aspect, and then my weight started dropping down. I made sure that I added more sleep into my lifestyle. You know, the days of getting up at 5.30 every single morning, working on the uh, European, with the European coders, working with the, um, uh, with the East Coast uh, accounting team, starting on at 9 a.m. with the Pacific team, 5.30 working over with, with Asia up until 7 and 10 o'clock at night and repeating that six days a week. You, you can't do that as an individual. It's really hard. And so now I take it with another lens when I look at any sort of like professional who's trying to do that, you've got to kind of like find the way to, to remove that stress out of it. And it might be very hard for a young mother with a, with a young family. How do, we, how do we do these pieces? Because this becomes more important. And everyone goes like, oh, I can function on four hours of sleep a night. And like, look at me. And I'm like, dude, let's look at you when you're in your 50s and your 60s. It's about health span. And, and we have a very limited time on this earth. And it seems to be accelerated as I get older. You know, I think those lazy days when I was a teenager, now it's like, wow, you know, have, I, have we achieved enough in the day? But that self-care is what it, like keto is just one piece. And, 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 and measuring the data is just one bit in, in that bucket of, of, of what is you. Uh, removing the toxins that can be in your life. I live in an agricultural zone and, you know, you always wonder out what are they spraying with? How much Roundup is there? Where is there mold that is within your house? Are oh, you've got toxic products that are causing, have you got off-gassing that's going on? You know, that, that can change uh, your epigenetics. Keto, obviously, eating good foods can change um, uh, the different areas, making sure you've got the vitamin D and the sunshine and you're getting the sleep and you're bringing in that meditative and community. Uh, for those, I mean, I'm an atheist, but I also understand the value of community that, that comes from the church or, uh, or a different community and tribe, that well-being and that, that social aspect. And I think through, through COVID, we lost this social aspect quite greatly. And I think that from that, we're going to see more mental health issues come out. Uh, and I think we can fundamentally change. This is why I'm really excited about uh, the, um, the, the bipolar study um, that, that we're working with the University of Edinburgh. And there are some other areas 
of um, ADHD and mental health that that can be done because this is a, this is a massive thing. Uh, migraines is too. The work that and Dr. Angela Stanton is doing with migraines. I didn't realize that fifteen percent of the world suffered from migraines. Debilitating. So this is this is kind of like a, a cool area to be in, uh, and I think as you coming back to it, those were the areas that that self care, getting the extra amount of sleep, reducing down the stress. Those those that's my personal anecdote. Those are the things that were the biggest for me that you know didn't get it right the first time around. Now I'm trying to work on it and getting it right the second time around. Yeah, no, it's great. It just shows you that health's a verb and it's bio-individuality. But at the end of the day, there's common themes that apply to everyone and self-care is one of them. I would even say that glucose ketone index of less than nine to, you know, nine to one for any condition, it, for, you know, neuroinflammation um, for any condition is, is really the way to go. But had you had the My Mojo Health app, you would have been seeing that your self-care or the data or the metrics were showing you, hey, even though you're doing this or that, you know, you got now a, a um, an objective sign that doesn't make sense. Hey, I'm I'm eating this way or that way. It shouldn't be doing this. But now all of a sudden you think, oh, there's a three-dimensional world where I'm up in the morning before the sun comes up. I'm up at night after the sun goes down. And I'm doing burning the candle at both ends. And sometimes we forget about that. And people want to know what the best supplement is or what the best diet is. And they forget about the glue that ultimately is what runs the show. And it's the software that causes the hardware to drop to crash, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I look at my mojo health and I think about my early days in 2015. Yeah, I track my macros for the first 30 to 60 days. And, and, and I was just writing on a pen and piece of paper that were, um, I hadn't heard of like these other apps at that stage that could, that could do it. But if you think about that, that was me learning myself. There are so many people who don't even know what the difference is between a carb protein and a fat is. Uh, there are people in food deserts who don't understand this, this challenge. So for me, like now that there are so many uh, advantages, free tools to learn yourself, that's what you're doing. That, that, that first 90 days of behavioral change is so important. Why, do they, why does the military send their new recruits to boot camp? It's because they're trying to do a behavioral change. They're trying to set them for the discipline that will stand them forward for the rest of their lives. And this is what we have to do for ourselves. Now, hopefully we don't have to do it with a drill sergeant on our backs, but we do have to be kept accountable. And that's kind of what the MyMojo Health Project has been about, is giving the tools, the resources, the clinicians, and connecting them all together so that they they can work together in harmony to affect the change. And uh, I think it's exciting. I think the areas that we are going to now see Low carb ketogenic lifestyles go into it from polycystic ovarian syndrome, from uh, looking at, as we've mentioned before, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's, to psychological, uh, obviously type 2 diabetes reversal, hypertension, and all the metabolic syndromes that you have out there, and the cancers. Now, this is great, but there's only an adjunct in that world. And you have to look at the, the whole terrain around it. Because if you move one bit by 1% here, 2% there, 5% here, 3%, eventually you get to that tipping point. And that tipping point, that's where the difference helps. 
But to me, fundamentally, it's really hard to correct when damage is done. And, you know, we've got to go upstream before and get that preventative aspect in it. We need for the parents to be able to look at the next, be teaching the next generation, not to make the mistakes that we made because we got indoctrinated by Ansel Keys and Earl Butts in the 70s. And we're living on poor science because of that and marketing because of that by food industries. Once we start changing the children, the next gen, and you know, you look at training the next a lot of doctors and clinicians and researchers in nutrition, I think that's going to, but the fact that it's going to take generational change, great, great. But what happens when the first astronaut becomes keto? Have you thought about that? I mean, I'm into rockets. It's a little sidebar here. I'm like a follow everything that happens with the Falcon 9 and the new star rocket. But I also will look at the work that Dr. Dionne D'Agostino has done. And if we know that one calorie of uh, one gram of fat gives you nearly nine kilocalories of energy and one gram of carbohydrate gives you nearly 4.5 grams. If we think of mass to orbit, it better be for uh, somebody to be ketogenic. If you, think, if you think about a long duration mission and maybe going to Mars or the stars, we could be, it would be keto is the way to go because that protects the brain from seizures. I think that would be kind of like really interesting because then that might inspire the next generation of, of astronauts or something. And like, what if? We haven't seen those studies done in space, but they have seen it when Nick actually did the NEMO, which is the analog to space for a long duration. And I think that is kind of like interesting because that's like, what is, what is the next generation? You know, how do we, we know how to make fat, don't we? Uh, and then so like it comes out from that part. So I personally super biased to being keto. I think it's our default state. If you look back on ancestral history for the last 2.5 million years, were we picking seeds? No, we were taking down the elk and using the proteins and fats and we were ketogenic. And this is what, this is how our brains got so big. This is the way that we're supposed to be. Uh, so to me, that's my world. Oh, awesome information. I, and, and I appreciate your time and, and dedication and actually your contribution. So really excited. And I always keep the, the invitation open because I, I can guarantee every time I talk to you next, there'll be some new exciting um, information for the next frontier. So thank you so much, Dorian, for being there. I'll leave links to how to be able to get access to, to all the things that you've talked about. And also they can just go to the website as well. So thank you so much, Dorian, for your time. And I wish you and, and Gemma nothing but the a healthy, happy future um, and, and blessings all around. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into today's Truth About Your Health podcast, where our mission is to expose the truth about adrenal fatigue to burnt out men and women so that we can empower 100 million people to go from exhausted to energized. If you've liked what you've heard today and you're interested to see if this is a good fit for you to work with our Truth About Adrenal Fatigue recovery program, here's what to do next. Head on over to the truthaboutadrenalfatigue.com, all one word, forward slash podcast 
forward slash booking. Again, the truth about adrenalfatigue.com forward slash podcast forward slash booking and book an appointment to speak to one of our team members. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and get crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly are you right now with your health? What's working? Troubleshoot everything that you're doing or not doing. And most importantly, figure out what's being missed and how much it's impacting you. On the flip side, we'll then tell you what would your health be like if it was solved and what would you be doing differently and what would that look like? So that by the end of the call, we will tell you everything that we think you need to do to bridge that gap and do it quickly. If we feel like you're a good fit for what we do, we'll tell you exactly how that will work. But there's no obligation to have to do any further work together. That way, no matter what happens, the call is going to give you tremendous value, hope, and direction. Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. And our mission is to empower 100 million people to go from exhausted to energized, as we've been helping coaching clients all over the world be able to transform their lives. Isn't it time for you to transform yours? Head on over to thetruthaboutadrenalfatigue.com forward slash podcast forward slash booking and book your discovery call today.